Okay, guys, uh, back to John chapter 5. Tonight, tonight we're going to talk about submission. You know, I I thought it would be wise to raise that issue because um, uh, certain confusion may exist among us over that subject. And as I understand, some of the women are out of control. So, um, So submission is the biblical norm. Oh, I'm sorry. Did did you think I was talking about submission of women in marriage? Oh, no. I'm not man enough to take on that baby. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't dream of uh, uh, taking that on. However, I must say, I've never fully understood why women hate it so. That is, this whole admonition to um, to submit. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not. I think it's because the whole the whole concept got ruined about 25 years ago, maybe longer, um, because it became the, the perception was. That submission meant, I mean, that it was the men that were supposed to go out and, you know, bring home the bacon. And the women were supposed to stay home and fry it up. And I don't blame you for hating that. Uh, that, that. I'd hate that too, but that's neither here nor there. But that's not my subject tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I want to speak to you about the submission of Christ. Um, because the New Testament clearly teaches his subordination to the Father. Now, gang, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you know that I have, I have been, I've said for a couple of weeks, and we've got a, a, about three more come January, about the deity of Christ taught in John 5. And once you have established the deity of Christ, then, of course, you're immediately taken to the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity. Once Jesus is equal to the Father, then the subject comes up about um, the Trinity. So I I thought it would be wise to stick this in here at this juncture because, folks, um, numerous heresies have arisen over, over the person of Christ. I said this two weeks ago. But there are some who have erred by saying he's not God, but there are some who have erred by saying he's not man. And so this whole idea of subordination of the Son to the Father um, has got to be maintained as we pursue a a biblical understanding of Jesus' person and his position in the Trinity. Now, I'm drawing this, in terms of John 5, out of verse 19, but we'll see it elsewhere. But this is, this is what launched me. Verse 19 of John 5, um, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. There the whole idea of the subordination of the, of the Son to the Father is on display. But I want to show it to you in, in, um, in other places and in, in other colors because, guys, um, 
This has to be maintained as we, as we fight for the deity of Christ and fight for His humanity in terms of His, his person. You cannot forget that the Bible also teaches that the second person of the Trinity is fully subordinate to the first person of the Trinity. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from Jesus Himself. Um, Christ taught it Himself. John chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus makes this statement. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. <laughs> Jesus himself is, is beginning to outline a certain role that he plays, which is subordinate to that of his Father. He teaches it. We're also told in this same book, you might want to keep your finger in John 14, we'll come right back. But in John chapter 10, um, verse 18, no one takes it, he's talking about laying down his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. So where, Jesus, did you get that authority to lay your life down in your life and your authority to take it up? Well, I got it from my Father. John 14, verse 31. Um, <clears throat> but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the Father commands me. Jesus received commandments from his Father and obeyed them. He received instructions from his father as to what he was to do. Thirdly, um, you know that one of the big issues in Jesus' battle with the Jews is that he often called himself the sent one. Like in John chapter 6, verse 57. This is throughout the New Testament, but he says in John 6, 57... Uh, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. Who, as whoever, I live because of the Father. I am the sent one of the Father. So do you know what that means? If he's the sent one, that means he's not the sender. So who is the sender? That would be his Father. His Father sent me. And that claim that he was the sent one is a claim to be the Messiah. But nonetheless, there is somebody who is sent. And there's somebody who sins. And it's the Father that does the sending. And the Son is the sent one. And then <clears throat> in John chapter 8, um, this notion he, he discusses in John 8, 26. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world <clears throat> what I've heard from him. So Jesus has got a message. Where did he get that message? He got that message from the Father. Um, the, the, um, the message that he brings for the world is a message that he received from the Father. Look at verse 28 of the same chapter. He says, um, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. 
So Jesus was a student. Who was his teacher? The Father. The Father taught the Son uh, this message that he wanted broadcast to the world. Um, And then, in the high priestly prayer, you know, guys, one of these days we're going to have to spend a semester on the high priestly prayer because this is the prayer that Jesus prayed, not the Lord's prayer. That Lord's prayer is the one that he taught us to pray. This John 17 is the one that he prays. Listen to what he says um, in John 17, 4. He's praying to his Father, and he says to his Father, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before... Excuse me, it's verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus arrives here with a, with a, a work plan. Where did he get it? He got it from his Father. And he is executing that plan to perfection, a plan that originated with his father. Because the New Testament clearly teaches the subordination of the son to the father. Um, He says something similar in chapter 14, verse 10. uh, Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? His words and his works are things that are derived from his Father. Jesus comes to to say the words and to do the works that his Father gave him to say and to do. He is executing a plan. A plan that was given him by the Father. And then, guys, uh, this is one that I always love to show people um, because it's in 1 Corinthians 15. If you'll turn there. This is worth underscoring, I think. 1 Corinthians 15. um, Two verses there. Verse 24 and verse 28. But... Jesus is describing the, 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 the post-resurrection, and he says in verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers, that is, the Son of Man delivers, the kingdom of God, I mean, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every... Okay, so drop down to verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, um, that is, the Son, then the Son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. Who put all things in subjection under him? Well, that was God the Father. And so Jesus is going to take bring the kingdom. Folks, the scheme of redemption does not stop at Calvary. It does not stop when Jesus accomplishes the saving of his people. There's something else. He has to take this kingdom and go deliver it to his Father so that God may be all in all. Folks, you've heard me say this before. Redemption 
is theocentric. The gospel is Christocentric. The gospel message has as its center the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the whole scheme of redemption, the plan that was, that was formulated before the foundations of the earth, at the center of redemption is God the Father. And who tells you that? God the Son. Because when, when, when all of my enemies, says Jesus, have been put at my feet, then I'm going to take this whole thing and I'm going to, the, the son himself will be subjected to him who put all those things at my feet so that God, my father, might be all in all. You know, guys, the evangelical world not only doesn't understand that, I don't think, but they still think that the center of the whole redemptive plan is me and you. No, ladies and gentlemen. The saving of me and you is the thing that's ultimately going to be used by the Son to bring maximum glory to the Father. Now, one other, and then we'll, we'll kind of I'll make, I hope we'll answer some of your questions. There's one other that I wanted you to see um, in 1 Corinthians 11. Because, um, you know, I started off by saying this was submission. It was just kind of a joke, you know, uh, because really I'm not man enough to take that on, uh, and I wouldn't, but I wouldn't dream of it. Um, uh, But anyway, um, I've never quite understood why women hate the whole idea of submission. So let me show you why I say that. I'm in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. The Son of Man has a head who is over him. And he doesn't mind that at all. Um, If submission comes to you, my sister in Christ, if 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 it's hard for you, then one of the places that I think I would go to make it easier on myself is to to grasp this. That I have an example. And Jesus Christ is my example. Jesus finds His submission and subordination to His Father His delight. And yet, He is equal to the Father. Just like a woman is equal to a man. But it has to do with function. It doesn't have anything to do with worth or value. And, and I think somehow the, the 52% of the population has gotten the notion that submission somehow lessens their value. 
Well, if that's true, ladies and gentlemen, then Jesus is less value than the Father. He did it. It didn't subtract from Him. It didn't alter His dignity or His glory or His worth. Any of that. But yet somehow we've come to the place where we think that it, it, it does that. You know, I've, I've often used this little illustration. It might be silly. And, um, but I'm asked, well, in, a, in the last instance, in the last wedding I performed, you know, I do this premarital counseling thing, and I'm talking about this thing about submission. And, and I, you know, I, poor little girls that have to sit in my office with me, I mean, with their fiancés, but I mean, um, and I, 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 I leave my, uh, my chair and I go around my desk and I said, could I have this dance? Yeah, that's the way they look. What, what is the matter with you? So um, I, I, they ultimately, because they're in my office, I guess they have to stand up and, and I take them and we do a little couple of dance steps. And I said, have you ever danced with your fiancé? She said, well, you know, maybe once. And well, you're going to dance with the wedding, you know, or your daddy or somebody, you know. No. I mean, let me ask you this. When you dance with your fiancé, who led in the movements around the dance floor? Well, I mean, you know, he did. I mean, he's not very good at it, but, you know, <laughs> he's the, he leads it. And I said, yeah. And while he was doing that, did you feel lessened in your dignity? Lessened in your worth? Folks, it's just, it's just a role of function. It better be just a role of function, that is, in the marriage, because that's what's going to help us understand why Jesus did it. It's not, it's not a derivative of value or worth. It can't be, because that would mean Jesus is of less value. Now, let me, let me say this, and I, I hope this will answer some of the questions, and we're almost done. I don't know whether you noticed it as I went through all those verses, and I've got them up here if you want to take them, but um, all of those verses. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> every one of the texts that I read only has reference to the incarnate Lord. None of those verses that I read describe him before his birth. Do you see the significance of that? Where did this idea of subordination come in when it comes to Jesus? When he took over his role as the Savior who had to be a man. So as he took on this newly assigned role, his function changed, but not his worth, not his value, not his dignity. There is not one smidgen of lessening in his person. 
But because he had to play the, he had to play the role of the Savior of God's people, that occupying of that role meant that he had to be in subordination to the Father. And he took that on and endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was you. Saving you. If it means that I can save a bunch of renegades like that Grace Evangel Evan Church, sure I'll sub subordinate myself to the Father. It's the Father who's got a plan to save. And it means that I've got to be subjected to the Father. Let's get it done. So, Jesus' person wasn't diminished. And neither is a woman's in marriage. But that's really a, an application. Gang, let me close like this. Uh, I, I, I was, was going to go get all the names of the heresies that have like modalism and Gnosticism and Arianism and, and put them all up here. And, and, but I, I don't know that that would benefit you. But you need to understand some things. We believe in a certain person whose name is Jesus Christ. We believe that he's very God of very God and very man of very man. Neither of those things can be discredited. Neither of those things can be neglected. I have said to you on, on a couple of occasions that I find it much easier to teach his deity than I do his humanity. Um... How can God die? He can take on manhood. That's why he took on manhood. So that he could die. So that he could represent me and my sin. But he had to be God so that the result of his death would have, would have eternal value. Now, listen to this. Um... This, this is 1 John 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You start monkeying around with the, the humanity of Jesus Christ and this notion of Him being submissive to the Father... You can find yourself in a heresy in a heartbeat. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And both of those go into making him the second person of the Godhead. But that manhood thing is the thing that he took on so that he could become Savior. What, and what that meant is that he would find himself in a role submissive to the Father. That too, ladies and gentlemen, is found in John chapter 5. Let's quit. Our Father, we're grateful for your word. It is ultimately the final measure
of all that is true. And I pray, Lord, as difficult as this whole doctrine is of the Trinity and how, how much it stretches us to, to get it, would you use John 5 as well as these other portions of your word to show just how glorious is this thing that we call the doctrine of the Trinity? There is a sense in which all of redemption flows out of that doctrine. A father who planned, a son who executed, and a spirit that applied. If there is no Trinity, we are all damned. Help us to understand that doctrine aright. Lord, if I have erred in what I have taught, would you stop up the ears of your people? But if this is something true to who, what your word says, bless it to our understanding, our application, our excitement. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.